0: Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative Giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm pumped to have Sarah Bray join me on the show today. Sarah has spent the last nine years working with clients as a strategic designer, front-end developer, and community builder. In that time, she's consulted with over 100 clients, from educational institutions, to authors, to nonprofits, to software companies, on content strategy, product design, marketing strategy, brand and identity development, and online business development. Sarah is the author of the newly published Gather the People, a simple, honest approach to creating work that people buy, love, and share. She lives in Norfolk, Virginia, with her husband and three kids, where she leads a family-wide, self-directed, project-based learning effort. Like all of our guests, Sarah has a wide variety of personal and professional projects on the fire, and I'm glad she took a few minutes to break and join us on the show. Sarah, thanks so much for the work you do and for being on the show today.
1: So glad to be here. Alrighty,
0: so... I've been following you for a while, and I know that kind of the work you've done, but people listening to the show haven't. So tell me how you've gotten here with Gather the People. How have you gotten to here with Gather the People?
1: Well, I started off as a web designer, and um, I did that for years. I built up a team, and we were building websites for people. And I started doing more and more strategy around content because... um, Back in the day, like it seems so weird now. It wasn't that long ago, but like eight years ago, nine years ago, nobody was really thinking of content the way that we were thinking of content. People locally thought of their website as kind of a business card. And I was really promoting um, content driven web design. And it sounds old now, but it was really new then. And it was something I was really fascinated by because I noticed that nobody wants to go to a business card kind of website. They want to go somewhere where they're learning something or becoming better at something that they want to do. So, um, so I did that. Um, and we were doing really well, but, uh, you know, there's like some kind of hierarchy of needs in business. I think it's like at first you just want to work for yourself and then you want to like do something else, like have a team or something like that. You want to work with bigger clients or um, you want to make more money or something. But eventually you get to this place where what you, where you want what you're doing to matter a lot more to you than it does. And so I got to that place. I had hired um, Julianne Rhodes, who uh, was I hired her because she was just this incredibly creative, brilliant person. She made earrings and lamps out of Starbucks gift cards because she worked in a Starbucks and she just used what she had to make these like amazing pieces of art. And I just thought someone like that, you know, I didn't know anything about hiring, but I was like, you know, that shows creativity. I will hire her. (laughs) And uh, anyway, she didn't know very much about the things that I was doing. And I talked about online marketing and all this kind of stuff. And she would always ask me really hard questions about, you know, well, why do people care about that? You know, and she didn't care about it, obviously. <laughs> um, but as she's, you know, done more of her own stuff, she's learned to care about it more. But, um, but one day we were sitting down uh, to eat in a Chili's and she was telling me about, you know, when I have my studio, I want it to be like this. And I want to be doing these projects that I care about. And it was that this moment that, I kind of realized I want that too. <laughs> like I really want that too. I want to care about um, the projects that I'm working on. And um, and so I made a big decision to shut down the web design studio and to start doing something I called nation building um, at the time. And I started a, a sort of a marketing company. But it was more, more about gathering people together around ideas that, You both care about and making something happen with those ideas. And um, so the transition was rough uh because I transitioned my team over to that new model and we wanted to build from like the ground up it's like seed of an idea to getting it out the door we wanted to do not just the website and the content strategy and all that we want to do the brand we wanted to actually build it and bring the people and show the results and all of that so that's pretty expensive and um, well it's not it's not expensive I mean I know that now but at the time you know the people that were following us that was Pretty expensive. It was like $30,000 to start something like that. And so we got a few projects, but not enough to make it sustainable. And eventually I just started working on my own again and doing, um, you know, testing out my theories and stuff. But um, then last year I had started working with some really cool people that I really liked. Um, one of them was a software company. Um, in Washington State, and I went there. I swore I, I went there in uh, the fall, and I fell in love with them. And for the past, you know, eight years, I had been completely on my own, working on my own every minute. And I thought that's what I wanted. But then, when I went there, and I was working with these people in this incredibly creative space, and I was there for a marketing summit to, you know, help them with some stuff. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing. And I kept working with them on stuff. And then like, I don't know, four or five months later, um, they were like, would you ever want to work with us? And I never would have thought I would ever want to work for anyone. But I was so surprised at my reaction. It was like, I really want to. Like, I really want to work with these people. I want to be on this team and, and make stuff happen. So... Um, so we did that for nine months, (laughs) worst timing ever. After the first month, they lost the biggest contract that had actually allowed them to hire me and like six other people to start like a marketing sort of department in their organization. And so then for the next eight months, we're scrambling to try to figure out what to do. And the project that I was actually hired to work on and promote, they stopped working on it. Um, like right after I got hired. So it was like refiguring everything out. But then about, um, January, um, third week of January, I got a phone call and it was, um, I just found out that we're not going to be able, like, we're in a really hard financial situation. Like I knew that we were in a hard financial situation, but all of us thought we had until April. And, um, he said, I have to lay people off today. I have to lay six people off today. And one of those people is you. And I was so surprised and like shocked that that would happen. Uh, I don't know. I should have seen it because, you know, the project I'm working on, we're not working on anymore. We're having to start something new from scratch. And, and he's like, we can't invest in future products. We have to go back to, um, like, we have to focus on client services. And that's what we're going to do. And um, so that was super tough. So anyway, I had been writing this book for the past two years. And uh, the week before that happened, I was recording a podcast with someone and I had told her, I am letting myself off the hook for writing this book because I've been working on it for two years. It's not going anywhere. I'm totally letting myself off the hook. Next week I get laid off and I'm like, this is it. I have to write this book. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So I gave myself three weeks to do it. I am now on week. I don't even know seven or eight, but this is the very last week that I have to, cause I, I went ahead and put it up for pre-sale and said, you know, Friday is the day Friday, March the 6th is the day that on or before that day, it will be delivered. <laughs> so um, I kind of gave myself that. But yeah, I don't know if that long story is what you were looking for. But that is how I got here.
0: <laughs> There's so much to talk about in there. But just as a reminder, everyone, that's Friday, March the 6th, 2015, the book will be available. No pressure or anything's there. No, I mean, there are several things that I want to pull out here. One is the idea that one's Values and preferences change as we go through this creative journey because that's one of those things that gets so many people stuck. Is they're like, you start something and then you're like, just because I started it, I've got to keep doing it. And it's like, no, you don't. Yes. You totally yeah. do not. I mean, and when you really look at creative entrepreneurs, we have this fascinating ability to create opportunities that did not exist before, right. they just did not exist. So you couldn't have been two years earlier thinking, I'm going to do that because that wasn't real. It didn't exist. You know? so, yeah, yeah. But, but you get stuck. You know what I mean, Sarah? Like, people get stuck and they're like, I started this web design company and I've got to keep doing web design. No, you don't.
1: And I I've beat myself up about that a lot. Like, oh, man, people are so confused about what I do because I keep changing it. But, you know, it's part of the story and any good story has
0: action. But there's another piece here. Um, there's this from entrepreneur to employee pathway here, where you see like once you've been in it for a while, it's like you know what, like it wouldn't be so bad to work with awesome people on things for for an extended project for that, and not be the one that has to make art, make ends meet and not have to be out there hustling, and not have to be thinking about like, well, I was talking to somebody last week, and you'll get it. What people confuse like when they think of entrepreneurship, they think of a lot of risk. Like we're just risk centric and love risk, and it's like. Actually, not so much. Um, what, we, what people do is confuse risk and uncertainty. And that's a huge mistake because the things that you're doing for um, gather the people, what I'm doing for productive flourishing, they're really uncertain about how it's going to turn out. Like, we have no idea. But it's not particularly risky, you know, no, <laughs> it's like, no,
1: it's not, it's not, I'm risky. not good with risk.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I'm totally not good with it. I'm like, uh, I think I'm not going to jump off the cliff. There's too much risk. <laughs> yep. Um, and so really as you're thinking about it, whether you're an employee thinking about going the entrepreneur route or whether you're an entrepreneur thinking about going the employee route, like be very careful that you don't get stuck in this idea. And, and I'm going to rant here for just a minute. I think I've ranted on another one. Like, like we don't recognize how much entrepreneurship becomes like an aspirational thing. Like it's a part of our identity and it's part of the cool kids to work for yourself. And if you work for somebody else and you're just less than complete bullshit, people, complete bullshit, find the arrangement that works for you. That's all I got to say. Um, but let's talk about how you went from small nation to gather the people. Cause like there for a while I knew you under the small nation she's writing a book about that when the book is coming and now it's gather the people. So tell us about that switch up there?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, the thing about nation building that I realized is uh, focusing on these big projects. It was like, we start with the seed of something and we build it and we bring the people and all of that stuff. Um, But I, I found out working on a couple of projects that went on for a really long time, that when you focus on those things, you focus on the brand, you focus on the website, you focus on the story behind it and all of that stuff. That's not really what a nation is. You can spend a lot of time figuring that out. And a nation is people. That is what a nation is. And so i after learning that and realizing that, you know what, it is not actually serving the people that I'm working with to get all of this stuff perfect before they start going. What we need to do is start now and we need to start gathering people before we're even certain about what exactly we're making. We need to work with them, collaborate with them to even figure out what it is we're going to make and how we're going to make it. And, we're, you know, so all that stuff just kind of actually doing those huge projects really changed my approach to what is actually gonna work
0: it kind of reminded me of a bit of the you may know the story the Potemkin the Potemkin village right where okay so the story goes is that um I'm going to I didn't do the research before this, so I might butcher the actual details of the story, but make uh, make it up. Um, But there was a um, I believe it was a Russian um, a Russian royalty that was going through a certain town. And for for that particular person, this um, viceroy or this uh, political person decided to make a complete facade village for her to look at because she, he wanted to show off like how well his administration was and how well that region was doing. So they mm-hmm. essentially painted this entire like facade building like put all the show up and they kept her far enough away from it <laughs> so that she actually believed it was doing prosper, like that it was prospering and then he got the, uh, you know, the acclaim and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. horrible rendition, but the basic point is is a horrible historical Um, Detail, But the basic point is, is sometimes when you look at brands and businesses, it's like they've got that Patinkin Village thing going on where they put so much facade up. And like, if you're just starting a business, what I normally tell people on my side, if you're just starting a creative venture, you have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And that's okay. (laughs) You're figuring it out as you go along. And so just be just kind of own that. And then once you do know what you're talking about it, well, say what you know. And grow. And I mean, that's really what it's all about. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the things that we care about, they bind us together. And so in that beginning time, when you're just getting ready to do something, you really have like this incredible fire in you. I think always think when I wish I had that still, because I don't know that it goes away. I think it changes as you get older and you've done things for yourself for a while. Um, but man, for years, I remember I could work 80 hours a week. No problem. I wouldn't, you know, I just loved it. Being able to make something new out of nothing was pretty intoxicating. And, um, but I think that energy and that enthusiasm, really is contagious. And if we let people see it, that's the thing. A lot of times we don't want to let people see it because we want to look like we've got it together and we know what we're talking about. But that enthusiasm is what is interesting. And it's what helps people know that you actually care about what you're doing and, and who you're doing it for, rather than just, I'm trying to, to make money right now, <laughs> or, you know, I'm trying to build my audience or whatever.
0: There's a little bit of context here that I wanted to throw in. Like if you're in a entrepreneur support or a business service like business, um, they don't particularly like the fact that you're figuring it out and they're paying you to figure that out. So there's a little bit of <laughs> there's a little bit of sensitivity there. They don't want to fund your you know existential journey. Um, but
1: caveat.
0: yeah, yes. that's an important <laughs> caveat. But if you're on the creative side of things, you're working with people, you're selling people art. And really, you know, most of what we do is art. Then there's so much of this that they do enjoy the process. I mean, think about it. If I just told you, like, the final, like, scene of a book and what resolved, right? Here's what happened. You wouldn't be very interested to read the book unless I told you, like, how they got there was really interested, right? Yeah, I could do it that way. Right. But we, we like that sort of growth and an involvement and in what's happening, what's going on, what's Sarah doing with the small nation, right? All those types of things, as opposed to, like, the finished product. But it's very weird when you're creating it and I get stuck there too, Sarah, where I'm, I'm like finishing up a book over here in the next, I don't know, six to eight weeks. And, um, I'm like, mm, it needs to be this it needs to be that. And it just, when I met my creative best at this moment, I'm like, it's going to be whatever it's going to be.
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. It is hard to let go when you think about yourself. Cause I talk about that a lot. And then with this book and I think about the actual process of writing it. I mean, I'm on the third draft, but actually I've read and revised every single chapter, like 150 times. It's not a third draft. It's like 152 (laughs) something. And, um, and that is because I do want to make something beautiful and wonderful. And I want it to, I want it to reflect what I actually want to say and not just spouting off platitudes. (laughs) I want it to make people better at something that they weren't able to do before. So, I mean, there's tension there between wanting to just put stuff out there and wanting to do a really good job at it. But I think the trick is to reduce the scope of what you're doing to something that is really small, especially if it's the first time that you've ever done it. Take that thing, that big idea in your head, and make it smaller, and then make it smaller, and then make it smaller, and as small as you can make it. And then make that one small thing really, really well. You don't have to just ship an unfinished version just to get something out there. Ship a really small, fantastic version, and then you can build on it from there.
0: Exactly. I think it was in Rework um that the base camp guys said you know make half the product and don't half-ass the product right right, right, right and it's right. the same basic concept is it's yeah. really easy to half-ass or build like just do half the good of a job that you could have done on a bigger project right so right, rather than right. doing that start smaller because the thing about it is you're learning this as you go i learned it a couple of years ago you never actually finish a book yeah. you just decide it's done <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you decide you're done with it so whatever you do now there's going to be other legs to it and so it's just yeah. like you're trying to figure out the state of sufficient doneness that you can yeah. let it go and and not have friday march this what was it sixth hanging over your head yeah
1: yeah have you read um twyla tharp's book about the creative habit i really like how she talks about how you know something is done. And she says, it's like organizing a room. At first, the room is really, really messy. And in order to make it completely organized, it wouldn't have anything in it. Like you would take everything out, but how, you know, it's done is when you feel like that, ah, sense of feeling like everything is in its place and you resolved the issue that you were having with this room. And I do feel that. Um, on certain chapters. I feel that, but I'm going to keep going on other chapters until I feel that otherwise, you know, it is going to drive me crazy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what scares you about releasing Gather the People?
1: Well, doing the pre-order thing was really awesome. It gave me a lot of confidence um, because I released the first two chapters um, and the prologue and I got a ton of really really incredible feedback. And so my fear is that chapter 3 is going to be horrible. <laughs> and that you know, yay, we loved the first two chapters. I mean, you know, and and it's completely stupid because the third chapter is similar in tone and voice and practicality and all of those good things as the first two. But yeah, that's my fear. <laughs> I can write a good first two chapters, but I just can't pull off the rest.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about the fears of the of the journey here, because, you know, when you're first going out to to commercially sell your art, first off is will anybody buy it? Yeah. Well, you've already figured that one out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so the second one is, OK, like you've replaced that fear with the other one. Like, will what people have bought? Will I live up to what people have bought? Like, will it meet their expectations? Yes. And you won't know, really, really won't know until next week. Right. Um, and so there's this act of faith. Um, then there's this other fear. Will I be able to do it again?
1: Oh, man, I don't. even. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a big fear. <laughs> I think that is what is really hard about growing as an entrepreneur is competing with your past self all the time. It's super difficult because you've done something and it's almost easier to fail sometimes than it is to succeed because after you even if it's something small like a blog post that everybody shares or something and then you go back to write another blog post and you're like i can't i can't do it (laughs) everything i write is horrible (laughs) i don't know how that fluke happened well
0: exactly when you look at and i've written a post on this on pf it's it's called um i think it's you won't see your big hits coming right because that's always what happens with, with my friends and other creative giants, and with my own stuff. Is like I never saw that that thing was going to be the hit. No, I didn't. I haven't. I haven't been able to see this in the past. So why do I think I'm going to be able to see it in the future? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And so it's like I I don't know. Like Sarah picked it up, and then Danielle picked it up, and then Pam picked it up, and that's why it was a hit in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. I can't reproduce that. I can't. I mean, I could, but you know what I mean, like. There's just so many <laughs> Sarah, Danielle, Pam, you have to do this again and you get all super it's like back in the day back in the days of Dig. Remember that? Right, where you used to completely yeah. game that system be like yeah. yeah, I've been around for a while. If you talk about gaming the front page of Dig, um it crashed my server. Uh, <laughs> um Um Do what?
1: That's a good problem.
0: To have. Yeah, that was like the good problem to have is that you were on the front page of Dig and it crashed your server. Um, yeah. <laughs> all the things we care about. Um, but yeah, so competing with yourself is hard. Competing with yeah. this sense of luck and chance and competing with the fact that your brand is controlled by other people or influenced heavily by other people. You can kind of – it's like the way I think about it is – It's a stream, right? And people jump in the stream. They do all sorts of things in the stream. And you can do certain things to keep the stream clean. You can do the best you can to sort of keep it flowing in the right direction, keep it from getting damned up. But at the end of the day, people are going to jump in there, right? And it's theirs as much as it is yours. And so that's the fear of it is like, how do you let this thing go?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I was going somewhere with this, but I have no idea where I was going with it. So there we go. (laughs) That's the
1: best kind of story.
0: Yeah. um, There's been... As you've grown, it's a big switch from, say, traditional marketing and business development to more of what we've been talking about, nation-building as people-first alternative. Yeah. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that evolution, because when we, I think when we talk, especially when you talk in places where you really understand content marketing or you really understand this sort of tribe-building, nation-building thing, like, we have to use the word marketing so that people actually understand what the hell we're talking about. Right, Yeah. But we understand marketing to be something different than what the word marketing means, if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, what I understand is that there are two sort of pathways that you've gotten to. One is just your own interest, but I believe the other was about what actually works. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about that.
1: I'm trying to think of how to frame it. Um, for me, anything that I make, it needs to do two things. It needs to make, get me closer to where I want to be. And it needs to get the other person closer to where they want to be. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everything that I make has to be like, how to do these 12 simple things? Because I don't think that that's what we all really want to be. And I think that a lot of what we want to be is, uh, oh gosh, um, have you ever read the book, um, The Chairs of Where the People Go by Misha Gluberman. I don't know how you say that. Anyway, it's it's not a really popular book or anything. Someone sent it to me in the mail. It's really fantastic. And he is actually an improv uh, teacher. He's like a theater guy, but he teaches improv to regular people, people who work nine to five jobs, people who do whatever. And um, it's not just improv like you would see on TV. It's like sound improv. So he has these people making these weird noises and like conducting each other. And, uh, it's, it's really fantastic, but he talks about people asking him the question, well, what is music for? And, or what is a music improv class for? And then he, he answers, well, what is music for? Well, music, when you go home, you have, you know, a record or whatever. He's dating himself a little And you, you put your record on and it helps you to relax from the end of your day. So you can think of music in that context as a relaxation machine. (laughs) And, um, I love that. I love that. It's like, it teaches you how to relax when you get home. So it's not always about like the 12 things that is going to fix your life. That's what I'm going to sell you. It's like, everything that we do, everything that we make and create has the potential to expand someone else's world, to actually create a new world for them to be able to transcend their old one that they didn't like so much. And I think we just have to, to find that thing and care about that thing a lot. I think the thing that I care about a lot is, um, I, first of all, I'm like really strategic. So the reason that I do all the things that I do is because I'm trying to figure out strategies for everything and I I have a strategy for everything. So sharing those makes me feel heard and it makes me feel seen as a person because I'm just naturally do that all the time. Um, But I want to help good people great people make good work that serves great people. You know, I, I really, really care about that a lot. And so when I think about those people and I think if I can help people create work that moves other people, then like it's just this multiplication effect of how we can change things and how people's lives can get better. So um so yeah, I think it's both of those things. It's what's gonna get me to where I want to be while helping another person get to where they want to be.
0: And trust me, I understand the strategic thing. Like I've got backups to backups. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, yes. it, it gets old at times. And I recognize <laughs> that's one of those, like with all virtues, like you can have it to excess.
1: I know. I know we were playing. um Do you all play Catan? Uh, yep. We were playing Settles of Catan and I won Three games in a row and my dad was like they were visiting in town this weekend for my daughter's birthday and he was like man you can tell strategy is what you're into I'm like yes although <laughs> i lost the fourth game but we won't talk about that
0: <laughs> it was luck <laughs> <laughs> no it is not luck this is this is why this is why i don't play risk because i get so frustrated <laughs> have these massive strategies in the stupid die roll overcomes it all but that's not that's neither here nor there i get it totally get it so throughout your creative journey you've vacillated between like solo creative to team creative to solo creative to work with and work in another company creative to working independently and then all sorts of different modes and so you know partnership and collaboration have become a huge part of your creative work in different modalities um yeah Where is Sarah today as far as this goes? Because again, it's been a journey.
1: Yeah. I think right now I'm just taking opportunities as they come. And I've had a couple of interesting opportunities for projects um, to work on independently. And I've had one opportunity in particular that's um, a local place here that I could go the other route. I could work with this team. and, And it's like right downtown. It's walk from my house. It's gorgeous. The people are super smart. They work with, you know, brands that I haven't gotten to work with yet. So there'd be a lot of learning, but then, you know, there's these other projects that are like really meaningful. And, um, I think I could do great work for them. So I think right now I'm just not closing any doors. I'm just opening them and I'm just hoping that the ones that aren't right will close. And if I actually do have to come around to making a decision here soon, then um, I hope I make the right one, but I can always change it. Right.
0: You can so. always change it. I mean, what if we really lived our world as lived our life as if it were just a whiteboard. Like you put something on the board, yeah. it doesn't work. You erase it and start over again. Yeah. Like I love that. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to embrace that though when you're making the decisions cause it's like, I gotta be the right one. There is no right. There's, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's all just projects anyway. It's like, who am I going to work with? Basically,
0: <laughs> basically who you're going to work with. Yeah. Um. So I noticed, and I probably should have asked you about this before we jumped on, but that's okay. You mentioned that you lead a family of, you lead a family through project-based learning environments and things like that. So you're a mom sure. and a wife and things like that, but that doesn't seem to be a big part of what you talk about, at least on the, on the front cover side of things. Like I know it's there because I've been following you, yeah, yeah. And so, um, I'm really interested in this because a lot of the a lot of the women that I talk to are creative giants. Have a tension between how much they want to pull their family in, how much they want to be the work about them. I'm just trying to, you know, understand um, just kind of where you are with that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's funny. I I feel like when I first started, um, I always thought that I wouldn't be taken seriously if people knew that I was working out of my house while having children in it. And things have changed over the years. And I don't believe that there's that stigma anymore. But um, so I'm starting to talk about it more, about what, what we do in our family. Um, but one of the big reasons that we homeschooled is one of my goals is to have freedom just in every aspect of my life. And so um, with with school schedules, it causes a bit of you know, structure (laughs) that, um, that I really wanted to be free of so that we could, you know, travel or just make crazy spontaneous decisions. Um, but also, um, I wanted my kids to be able to figure out what they really love to do because I don't feel like I ever did that. It was really hard for me in college to like, choose something. And I was so indecisive. I leapt from theater to English to education, and I could never figure it out. And so I never even finished. And I spent a lot of money on that, not finishing. And so I want my kids to have time to do what they love to do, to figure out what that is. It's not necessarily that we have to make what we love doing pay the bills all the time. You know, sometimes that can be stressful. Sometimes you should just do it at night until it takes off or something. But I want them to at least know what they love to do. And so um, there's this lady called Lori Pickart last names. I'm so bad at pronouncing them, but she's incredible. She wrote a book about project-based homeschooling and we had tried some different things. But when I read that book, I realized that is what I want to do. And so, um, I kind of see our house is like a co-working space where we each have projects that we're working on and, um, we have, um, the times that we naturally come together to talk about stuff are meals. So breakfast, lunch, dinner. So breakfast, it's what are we working on? Lunch, it's what problems are you running into? What do you need? Dinner, it's what did you work on? <laughs> and so whether we're whenever we're together in a room or if we're in separate rooms working, we're kind of doing our, our thing. And my daughter, she's really into, I don't know, she's going to be like an engineer or something because she likes to build stuff. She'll take anything and make something new out of it. So a lot of her projects have to do with building something. Um, and my son, he's, um, he's a movie maker. He just loves to make movies and he's learning how to do a 3d animated movie because his dad is an animator. So, um, they're both kind of figuring out that those are things that they really like. And I don't know, maybe that'll change, but, um, We also have like math and stuff that they, they have to do every day, which they kind of hate, but I just want to make sure that if they ever, you know, if something happens to me or something and they ever need to go into a school environment again, that they won't be unprepared for that. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of how we roll.
0: I bring that up because that also introduces a creative challenge for you is how do you with kids in the house? Like, I mean, that's one I'm, I'm not trying to say it's one thing to run a business because that's what i to say. It's, you can do a certain amount of sort of business admin. Yeah. But then when it comes to you, like the really creative task, the sitting down and writing the book or a marketing plan or something like that, that can also that can oftentimes be really hard to do when you've got kids underfoot and running back and forth. And so. Yeah.
1: I have to have quiet spaces. What we do um, when I need quiet for that focus time is um, I shut my door and I lock it. And um, if they have something, they send me secret messages under the door. (laughs) So like I'll be on a conference call with like six other people and nobody will know, but my kids and I are writing each other back and forth on a piece of paper. They're like, can we have a cookie? Yes. (laughs) You know, and uh, they like it because it's kind of fun and sneaky. And I like it because they're not talking and it's not embarrassing. So, so, you know, that kind of thing um, works. And I don't know. I mean, the, the one thing is my kids are getting older. My son is nine and my daughter just turned eight. And I do have a young one who just turned four, but um, they're starting to be able to help each other if they need things. And I'm doing something like Being on a podcast with (laughs) Charlie—it's
0: hard to slip notes under the door when I've got you on camera.
1: Right, I know. That's why I was so freaked out about it. I'm like, what?
0: Part of what was coming up for me as you were talking about your uh, family and just where things have come is we started back when, and we weren't one of those super early waves, but we started back when, like, it was still like a nerdy thing to be a blogger, right? Like, that was still stuff you didn't tell your neighbors and parents, right? Because like, you're doing what? Yeah, um, and things have come a, quite a long way, right? And now you're like, I'm a blogger. You're like, so what? Everybody else is. And you're like, no, I know, no.
1: I know. Isn't that weird?
0: And no, no. I'm a blogger, right?
1: Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Like old school. Like I, I actually have my own property. Like now, now you feel like a dinosaur. But it's interesting to watch. You know, like all of the different things that you had to sort of work through. You know, you've got the blogger thing going. You've got the I work from home thing going. You like, I got the kids, you know, at home thing going. All of those types of things are really fascinating to see how that still informs what you're currently doing, you know.
1: And it's sometimes it's isolating. I think that's part of the reason why I've been switching more to partnership and collaboration and not wanting to be alone (laughs) in my work. I really... um, and also just the fact that I believe when we work with other people, our work gets better. And not that we have to have the input of just tons of people to make it better. But we have blind spots. Everybody does. And um, working together helps to compensate for those. But yeah, part of it is definitely isolation. It can be isolating doing this.
0: <laughs> it can be very isolating. And you know, let's, let's work out this one tension that we have here. Because it can be isolating to, to do it by yourself at the same time. Um, it seems that individuals have an advantage over teams when it comes to creating work that people care about. I mean, teams can learn to do it, but so there's this isolation side of things, but there's also this solo advantage. So how do you resolve that tension there?
1: Well, no, I mean, it totally is. When I joined the team that I was working with, I I had not realized how important my online community was and working with them was to making work that actually sold and that people used and loved. I I did not realize that. But when you have a team, you're working with them all the time. And so you forget about all those other people because you already have people to work with and collaborate with. And it's so it was so weird to me. It's like, oh, wow, I was collaborating with people. I was just collaborating with the most important ones, <laughs> which are the ones who are going to be buying it. And so I think teams really need to about that a lot um, as they're working. How can I collaborate with the users of my work more? Because it's not built in.
0: So is the advantage that individuals have largely based on the fact that it's easier for one person to work with many people as opposed to many people working with many people? Kind of tease that out for us there.
1: I, I don't know. That may be it. I haven't really thought about why is that so hard? Why is that a hard thing for a team to, to collaborate with their users? I guess it's because of the ownership thing maybe. And when you're an individual, you own that and you know exactly what it is you're trying to do and you know how important those people are to it. When you're working with a team, and actually I found this when we were building um, nations, um, at a small nation, when we were working on our first one, we started out by sharing a lot of the process and it was me and it was... um, you know, three other people on my team. And then it was our client. And normally I am able to share about what I'm learning with people, no problem. But in that situation, it became like, oh no, this isn't, there's conflict in everything that you learn. And sometimes that conflict involves other people. And so everything that I'm thinking about is like, well, I don't want to tell that person's story or I don't. And I think that that same dynamic happens with teams because you kind of put on this front as a company, (laughs) as an organization, and um, it's hard to have like a learning mindset and you have to have that in order to share what you're learning and with other people. So I don't know. That's probably not a great answer, but I, I think that maybe that's the seed of where it comes from is just not being able to tell the story of your team accurately, because it involves other people besides just yourself.
0: Yeah, you're having to decide for other people how comfortable they are at being vulnerable. And that's really challenging, especially (laughs) when you're being paid to do that, because you're asking someone who's paid you money to stretch their vulnerability tolerance. And it gets really awkward very, very quickly. Um,
1: Yeah. And everybody thinks it's about them, too. When you write something, it's like, oh, that's about me. I know that's about me. And, And you just have to be like oh gosh, so it's crazy.
0: Yeah, um, team navel gazing can be um, politically disastrous, right? It's it's okay if you do your own navel gazing because whatever, you, like <laughs> if you want to leave the lint in there, you can. But when you start doing it as a team, like once it comes out, it's out. You, you can't get it back in. Right. Um, and I think there's also this weird thing because this has been part of the growth of uh, productive flourishing things like that. Is on, on the one hand, and I've experienced a similar tension in the sense of I'm a team builder. I love working with people and things like that. And I'm not the only person at PF doing stuff. There's no way I would be able to do it. Right. And so I often write in a wee voice because it's like I write something and then somebody edits it and then it gets over here. It's not just Charlie speaking here. But then the reader is like, who are all these wees? Like what's going on here? And so there's this tension between like when it's we, the company versus like Charlie, this is what I thought. Um, or or things like that. So it's this very weird dynamic that you go through that you just don't have to worry about when you're a solo because it's just you. Um, But my worry about that is the more we hear just that I voice, because I know, you know, as other people as well, that like there's always the I voice, but there's like a horde of people that are doing stuff. Is that it's hard then if you're modeling something, if you're trying to show people how you can work collaboratively and build something awesome, then they see you saying I all the time. And they're like, well, Sarah does it by herself. Charlie does it by himself. So why uh-huh. can't I do it by myself? Right. You're like yeah. that's that's not the real story, people. <laughs> that's not right, the real right. story. I'm um, being
1: transparent
0: about that. Yeah. So, but it's tense. It's this tense thing. Like who's this we it that is. we're talking to? But I, I guess that's part of the fun of it all, you know?
1: Yeah. Totally.
0: righty. Well, let's start wrapping it up just a little bit. I'm curious. You may have already mentioned it, but what's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing?
1: My identity as a writer. I think. Um, I've, I've always kind of gotten patted on the back for things that I've written and not necessarily like you're great at writing, but being good at connecting with people through writing. And one of the things that was really challenging about creating, I guess, a large scoped project is I just realized that I can't be good at that the first time. Like I can't just write a good first draft. It's horrible. <laughs> and it's scary to read the first draft and be like, "Wow, this is terrible. This is the this this is me. This isn't me." But because it's so big and because you have to just sit down every day and write, even if you're not inspired. And a lot of times when you write, when you're not inspired, it comes out sounding like the cat went to the market, (laughs) you know, it's like very not good. And then you get to the end and it's not good. And then you do the second draft and the second draft is just like, well, I was really rushing through the first draft. So I have to flesh this all out. And then the second draft is not that good either. And then like the third draft, you know, to me was when I finally started to sound like myself, but I think it just made me realize that none of us are actually really just naturally good at things the first time. And a blog post can cover that up because it's a blog post and you, you know, however much time you spend on it, it's not that big of a deal. But when you're making something big and you have to just do it, even though you're not inspired, it you see how much work that it actually takes to make something good and that you aren't just good at it, you know? And so I think that was kind of a humbling experience to just keep going anyway, even though I'm like, wow, this isn't, this isn't good right now. This is really not good right now, but just keep going and believing that I can work on it until it's
0: good. And you didn't anticipate that because you always had gotten sort of the pats on the back. And so, right,
1: right. Yeah, exactly. And I'd, written things that were shorter and I'd written things that were true for me at the moment, that's always been my kind of thing. Like what is the truest thing I can talk about right now? True for me and true for other people too. And so writing from that place, it's really easy to write something that's inspiring because it's true. And the truth is always inspiring. The truth is never boring. But when you're writing a book on a specific topic, you may not be feeling it that day. And so it's completely different. And uh, I just didn't realize that that would be the case.
0: Yeah, it took me years to um, go from being a long form writer because you know doing philosophy and long form articles and things like that to being able to write short posts. And I'm still not good at it, right? Yeah. And then reverse engineering that and starting to write longer pieces again. I'm like, wow, yeah. this is a main, this is a brain shift here, right? Because um, it is. You know, sitting down and you know my editor, who's lovely, by the way. But she's like, Charlie, this sentence is about four paragraphs worth of concepts. And I'm like, ah, you know, um, or this paragraph is really about three words. What are you doing? Uh, You're like, no. But yeah, it's totally intentional. Yeah. Um, It's like I needed to get my word count, man. Come on.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Work with me. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, Yeah. Well, you know, I love I love catching you right before March the 6th, um, 2015. Because you're right in that precious mode that, that just I think other creative giants need to know that this is part of the process. So I really appreciate you being vulnerable about that and talking about what's up for you and talking about the truth of, it, of the situation there. And we're not done yet, though, but I just want to say that. Um, so if people remember nothing else about you and your work, what's the one thing you want them to take away?
1: That honesty has value. <laughs> I don't know I mean if you're talking about me And my work like about me Like that they'll remember about me That I'm like a ex or something Is that what you mean Or just what I want to bring You got
0: one song what do you want that song What do you want that song to be
1: Ah okay I guess honesty is the only way That we can connect with other people This is a really long song (laughs) Honesty brings connection And relationships are all that matter So there you go be honest and use your work to build relationships and you'll be happy. And all of this things that is the tritest thing. I think that's the worst thing I've ever said. You should have prepped me on that. I would have prepared something that sounded really awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think it sounded more awesome than, than you think. Um, and so I appreciate you sharing that with us. So um, everyone, this is Sarah Bray on the Creative Giants show. Thanks so much for listening. Alrighty, so Creative Giants. Look, you think about honesty and connection, what can you do today to connect with the kernel of your work that's the truest and that's the most useful for you and your audience? Who can you share it with? Go do that. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.